today, this Sunday, you, I, I, you may know it, you may not know it, but Sunday, today, June 9th, is Pentecost Sunday. So Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. And uh, it's been 50 days since Passover. We celebrate uh, Pentecost Sunday. And there's something uh, so valuable about remembering. Now, listen, we know that, that there's not just one day a year that God pours out his spirit on us, right? But I love looking back at uh, what God did on this day 2,000 years ago. Uh, well, not exactly 2,000, but a couple of millennia ago. What did God do and what did God start? And it is what God started. You know, we, we talk about, uh, I've heard someone say, well, you know that prophecy in Joel that, that uh, he was going to uh, you know, pour out his spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your, your young men will dream dreams, your, our, your old men will see visions, or I flipped that around, young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Uh, and, and people say, well, that was fulfilled back then and that's why we don't have it now. But in fact, Peter said, until the great notable day of the Lord, right? And he says, you'll know that because there's going to be some freaky signs in the heavens and on the earth, Uh, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. You will not mistake the day of the Lord. Nobody's going to be going, did the day of the Lord come? Feels like it came. You're going to know it. You're going to know it. You're not going to say, I think we missed it. I was was busy. I was watching the Raptors, and I should have looked outside. Oh, you watched the Raptors. Okay, well, fine. We found a sport. All right, kids. Anybody watching the Stanley Cup with the Bruins and the, not the teams we wanted, but they're there. All right. I was busy. I missed the day of the Lord. No, you won't miss it. You'll know it. And so Peter, when he stood up and said, this is what Joel was talking about, that was the beginning of a period that we're still in right now, which is known as the last days. Now, we're further along in the last days than he was, which is a good thing. But the Holy Spirit is still doing what he did on that day of Pentecost. You know, we've been going through um, for the last, well, since, since Resurrection Sunday, we've been going through the period of time that Jesus spent with his disciples after the resurrection. And we've called, called it beyond the grave and, and, and uh, a lot of times overlooked those those weeks that Jesus spent with his disciples preparing and preparing the church. Last week we talked about what he said. He said, wait for me in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Amen. See, that's the picture you need to have. You need to have a picture not of a touch of the spirit like we said last time. Not of a gentle wind blowing of the spirit. You know, there's a time where it feels that way and that's fine. But he says you are to be clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power. That, and that, that is fully immersed in it. He said, I want to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That is dunked. That's nothing left, right? I don't know if when you were baptized, you know, some people think if they hold their hand out of the water, um, they can use this hand to sin. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's the dumbest thing. That's what a spirit of religion will do. It finds loopholes, right? But let me tell you, when you're, when you're in the water, you, you're dunked. I did, we got to do baptism um, when I was in Vietnam with uh, uh, Brother Kwong's brother, and uh, we were in this, I think I told you about this, but we were at a church, I preached on Sunday, and, and, and was to baptize 30 people afterwards, and uh, because it was done somewhat in secret because of the law, um, you couldn't just take them to the lake or the river, you know, we had this concrete 
water reservoir in the back of the church. And, um, but that water was being used, and so for some reason, uh, the water level was already not that high. It was about up to our waist. And I got to baptize 30 people. Well, you know when 30 people get in and out of water, they take water with them, right? <laughs> and uh, so to start with, there was no room to dunk anybody like this. You had to squat down like this. And they saved, the, the last people I got to baptize were these lovely older ladies that had just received Jesus. I mean, they were probably in their late 70s, 80s. And, uh, you know, so they got to squat down. Well, I don't know. I, I hope that my bones and my muscles work that well when I'm older where I can just squat down real low, real fast. Um, but the problem was the water level had gotten so low that they're having a hard time getting under the water. And so I, I just kind of like... I don't speak Vietnamese, so I'm trying to signal now's the time to go under the water. So you just lightly put pressure on the shoulders like now is the time for you to go down. <laughs> it feels weird, right? Like the act of plunging someone like this under the water feels murdery, you know? <laughs> Especially wonderful, innocent old ladies, you know? And... Uh, so they go kind of under the water, but they can't get fully under the water. They're, they're, things aren't just bending enough, you know, and they're trying to get under. And um, so we, we get almost all the way under, and a lady comes up, and the pastor goes, nope. <laughs> and he does this, and he goes back under. And me and the old lady looked at him like, are you serious? Come on. I mean, God knows. God gets it, right? You know? Nope, try again. Oh, okay, all right, do it again. Just almost, this time almost, and she tried, and I tried, and like, what do I do? I felt like I need to press harder. I can't press harder. I don't want to break her, you know, like, and so, again, she comes up, and again, the pastor goes, no. <laughs> do you remember this, too? Um, I don't know, if, were you there? Yeah, you were there, and, and so, <laughs> this last time, you know, he kind of helped me, and we got her under, and just started making a wave. <laughs> So that it, as she got fully drenched, came up, and you know, everybody up to that moment, you know how we how people are supposed to come out of the water, like, yeah! She came up and like looked at me like a puppy I had tried to drown, like just gave me this, no smile, no celebrate, like looked at me like, mm, yeah, this is what happens when we invite Canadians, right? But there's a reason. There's a reason that that was so important to that pastor. And it was that this symbolizes, that baptism symbolizes, I'm all the way under. I am all the way soaked. I am all the way immersed in him. And so when, when Jesus says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, number one, he says, I'm going to baptize you. That means no, no uh, silly Canadian's going to mess it up. I'm going to baptize you. You are going to get fully dunked in the Holy Spirit. See, we need to have that picture here in North America in 2019 that God wants his people fully dyed in the wool, immersed, sunk in, clothed with power, clothed and baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we're waiting on these little moments when God is saying, and you know, one of our friends, Pastor Kyle in Philadelphia says it well. He says, you know, we, we, stop looking for, we need to stop looking for moments. We need to start looking for the movement, yeah. right? We, we're, we're focusing on a moment when we should be focusing on the movement. What is God doing here? 
And God wants to soak his church in his spirit. He wants to immerse his church in his spirit. So today we get to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And I want to read something to you because I believe that, that God is, um, God began something and he's completing something throughout this work of the Holy Spirit. This is the age of the church. It is the age of grace. It is the age of the spirit. It is the age of his kingdom within us working without on the outside, from the inside to the outside. Here's what uh, Peter says in Acts. And we're going to go to Acts 2, where, where this great Pentecost day took place. And I want to show you a couple of things as, as we go through this, that God has always been a God of restoration. Yes, he that he has been a God of restoration, but, but there are, uh, there's a way he's going to do it. And he began the work of restoration from the moment we messed the earth up. We messed the planet up. And I, I don't mean when we started using aerosol hairspray. I mean we messed it up. The first two humans God put on earth blew it. Our track record's not great. But God's goodness is better. And from the moment we messed up, he began the process of restoring. You can't go through the Old Testament prophets without seeing the word restore over and over again. Restore, 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 restore. What's, what's interesting is that he says, God says, I'm going to restore. And then after, almost in every case, after he says, I'm going to restore, then he, he tells his people, you're going to be restorers. And he, he tells them, I'm going to send you back to the ruins. I'm going to send you back to the ancient cities that have been abandoned, the desolate places. And I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Those are the places we don't want to go. We always want to start something new because then it doesn't have bad memories attached to it. There's no shame attached to it. There's no grief attached to it, right? We want to start something new, start something from scratch. But God has certain things he began and he wants to finish them. And so when he, when he restores us, he sends us back to places and people that need restoring. The Holy Spirit is his method of restoration. It's his means of restoring. And we're going to see that through the scriptures. As we're going to kind of skip through Peter's sermon here. We're not going to read the whole thing because we've been reading it. But I want you to see something about how God restored several things that mankind messed up. And even in this first day, this day of Pentecost, we see it. Number one, you guys know the story, and, and if you don't know the story, I'm about to tell you it. But Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. And I've said this before, but Jerusalem was not the place you wanted to hang out. Jerusalem was the one city that hated Jesus and crucified Jesus. The Romans crucified Jesus because they were afraid of the people of Jerusalem. The Romans, you know, Pontius Pilate tried and tried again to try to get Jesus off the hook. He couldn't do it. Now, I'm not saying the Romans were innocent. The Romans were, were bad dudes. But what I'm saying is this was the city where the disciples could go anywhere else. They were even willing to go to Samaria. But don't take us to Jerusalem because we'll die if we go to Jerusalem. They knew Jerusalem was where they were wanted men. And Jerusalem was the city that yelled out, crucify him. Jerusalem was the city that said, let his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children. When Pontius Pilate tried to talk them out of it, they talked him back into it. We want this man dead. So that's not the place you want to stay for 10 more days waiting. That's where Jesus told them to, to stay. You see, we give up on places far sooner than God does. Right? 
How many of us would say, as Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, how many of us would have said, you know, we're done with this. See ya. Done with this city. You know what? You blew it for the last time. You keep killing prophets. You keep doing the opposite of what God told you to do. Let's go back to the, to the country folk. At least they received Jesus. Let's go back even to the foreigners. The foreigners get it. You guys don't get it. What's wrong with you? And, and, and I think our instinct would be to start a church somewhere else. To, to go where we're welcome. To go where we, we feel the culture fits. But God didn't give up on Jerusalem. You see, God had a plan for Jerusalem long before, long before it was the city of David, long before it was a place known as, a, as the city of God, God had a plan for Jerusalem. It was before Jerusalem was Jerusalem, there Abraham was sacrificing Isaac, about to sacrifice his own son when God provided a ram. It's said that you know, that, that hill, that, that mount where he sacrificed his son is still a very famous, it's the most holy mountain in Jerusalem right now. It's contested by many different religions. It was on that mount that God made a covenant and he, he, he gave them a picture of, I will provide my own sacrifice. And he provided his sacrifice in the place of, of, of humanity. It's said that Abraham might have looked over to a mountain just over, just over there. Because from where he was standing, he could see it. It was a little hill called Golgotha that he could see from where he was standing. He could see Golgotha where one day God would sacrifice his son. Perhaps that's part of what Jesus meant when he said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Jerusalem was later taken over by Jebusites, it was taken over by different groups of people and yet David had the heart of God when he said we got to recapture that city and they took it back for the Lord. David also realized that this is where the Ark of the Covenant belongs. This is where his presence belongs in his temple, in his city. David said, Lord, this is, you should have a temple here. I got a palace. Why do you still live in a tent? Of course, God's not confined to a tent, but he's saying, you know, why do you just have a tent? You should have a palace and God said, your son will build it. You see, God had a plan for Jerusalem. When everyone else gave up on Jerusalem, God never did. When the people of Israel were taken out of Jerusalem, taken to Babylon, the Judeans were taken away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed, put into ruins. God said, I'll bring you back. I want you to go to the river of Babylon and look at where you came from. Don't forget Zion. The, 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 the musicians, the priests who, who ministered to the Lord with their instruments said, we cannot, how can we sing our songs of home? How can, you know, the Babylonians said, why don't you sing us one of your folk songs from home? They said, how can we sing songs of Zion when we're over here in Babylon? And they said, by the rivers of Babylon, we wept. We laid down our hearts. We looked because they remembered God is going to bring us back. And God did. God even used a pagan, heathen king to do it. And he brought them back to their home. So do you think God was going to give up on Jerusalem? Even after Jerusalem rejected Jesus. Now this is the place where he chooses to send his spirit. And Peter gets up and before he gets up, 120 people are speaking in other tongues, which is freaking the city out. They're not just speaking in other tongues, they're probably acting a little different. Because P Peter has to say, we're not drunk like you think we're drunk. 
Now, some people t- say, well, uh, they just thought they were drunk because they were speaking in tongues. Let me tell you, when you hear someone speaking a language you don't understand, do you assume they're drunk? Like if you walk into West Edmonton Mall and hear something, I don't recognize that language. They must be drunk. No, you don't think that. Right? I see, I think they were doing more than just talking funny. They might have seemed a bit tipsy. They might have seemed a little bit out of their minds. And Peter had to tell them, guys, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. Which I want to talk to Peter and go, like if it was noon, it would have been okay to be drunk? What are you talking about? He says, guys, it's only 9 in the morning. We're not drunk, as you suppose. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they heard these people speaking in the heavenly language, something happened. The Bible says that they were, and if you can go through and count, there are, there, there was well, I mean, just, just a bunch, just more than a handful, a bunch of different language groups and ethnic groups are there in Jerusalem because they came for the feast. And they're in Jerusalem, and the Bible says, and it lists all these places that they're from, and it says they each heard them testifying and praising God in their own tongue. It says each one of them heard them in his own tongue. So some people will tell you, well, everybody was up there speaking a different language, and somebody was speaking Arabic, and another person was speaking Greek, and you just kind of found one person that was speaking your language. That's not what the Bible says. They said to each other, each one of us, here's them, that whole group. In our language. So the miracle was not in the speaking, although they were speaking in a heavenly language. The real miracle was in the the, the translation. They each heard in their language, which is awesome. Right? And so here they go. We each hear them in our own language. Now, number one, doesn't this show you God's desire to restore? Right? Because when were the languages separated, according to the Bible? When was everything ever at Babel, right? Because people said that they had this pride. God had told them to spread out, be fruitful, multiply, spread out. Don't stop, keep spreading out. And instead, they stopped spreading out and they said, no, let's build a city. Let's build a city and we're going to build a tower. So pride said, we're going to build a city. We will provide for ourselves. We only need each other. We don't need God. We need each other. In fact, we're going to build a tower to our own ability. And we are, our pride, this tower is a tower of our pride. We're going to be like God. I mean, we'll build it to the heavens. And God said, what did he say? He said, if they keep speaking the same language, if they keep saying the same thing, nothing will be impossible for them. Now, in that context, it would be bad, right? Because they're trying to do a bad thing. But think about the context of God's people, right? If we are saying the same thing, what's impossible, right? So God said, what, what the Bible says, God confused their languages. He gave them different languages and they couldn't communicate with each other. What's cool is, is that now on the day of Pentecost, he's reversed the effects of that. And now they are all hearing the same thing and they are all praising God as one. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's restoring the fellowship. He's restoring the unity. He's restoring the language of the people. And now they're one. And what could be impossible for them? So then Peter starts talking and he says, we're going to skip through some of the stuff we read last week. But he talks about how Jesus was crucified by godless men. And he's he's talking about, in that case, the Romans. And then he says, in verse verse 31, says, He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ 
that he was neither abandoned to Hades. When he said Christ, he said Messiah. They knew what he was talking about. Nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. What's he saying? You are seeing the Holy Spirit and you are hearing the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? What were they seeing? I mean, like I said, maybe they saw them acting a little bit different. But what they also saw was a bunch of people standing together where a few weeks before they had split and ran. Now they are united. Now they're speaking. Now they are praising God. Now they're not afraid. You're witnesses that the Holy Spirit is here. You can see that God sent his spirit just like he promised. Oh, man, I just want to be, I want us to be the kind of people that we can, we can confidently say, hey, God filled us with his Holy Spirit. You can see it and you can hear it. Right? That you don't have to go, like, uh, trust me. Trust me. I was in my room one time and I felt goosebumps. Trust me. Trust me, we have the Holy Spirit. No, we want to be able to say, I mean, not that it's all about the senses, right? Because you know what? We're people of faith. We don't go by what we hear or see. But yet, the Holy Spirit is, we want him to be so much a part of us that people could look at us and go, something's different about them. We go, that's the Holy Spirit. He says, with you both see in here in verse 34, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So here's, here's the, the thing. If I were in Peter's shoes and I was not being empowered by the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't stand in front of these people and immediately pull out the card, you killed the Messiah. You save that for home group. You save that... You save that for discipleship class, midweek Bible study at best. You don't pull it out at an evangel evangelistic crusade. <laughs> These people just killed your rabbi. Maybe toned down on the you murdered him rhetoric. <laughs> you killed the son of God. You killed the Messiah. Chill a little bit. Introduce those topics later once you've won them. <laughs> no, but Peter knows he, this is the power of God. Yeah. This is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. There's nothing to be afraid of. He says, you, you crucified him. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as our Lord our God will call to himself. Now remember, already they've seen God reverse the effects of humanity's pride by uniting the languages again. Now they're going to see God reverse the effects of humanity's hatred. See, on the cross, every force came together to put Jesus to death. Government came. Religious powers came together. Military might came together. Every earthly power was there at the cross, crucifying the Lord Jesus. 
the government, the military, the religious powers, and the people. What's, there, what's left after that? Every earthly power united with hell to kill Jesus. And yet Jesus forgave them. Yes. My goodness. He, he showed his power over all of those things. Yes. But those things didn't change who he was. And so now Peter addresses them all. He talks about the godless men. He talks about the religious people. He talks about you guys right here that are gathered. He talks about the people that are far off. And he says, God is restoring you. He's got forgiveness for you. And he says this. And he chooses, I believe the Holy Spirit chose these words carefully. Because these are the people, not far from where they were standing right there, that said, let his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children. Let his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children. Can you imagine the curse they just cursed themselves and their kids with? They just cursed themselves with the blood of the Messiah. And Peter gets up and says, this promise is for you and for your children. Praise God. See, right there, he just said, there is no generational curse that's bigger than the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the promise for you and for your kids. The same kids you curse, now the Holy Spirit's blessing. Wow. God is restoring again. And he says, you're far off. I'm going to bring you close. There's, a, there's a, 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 a prophecy in the Old Testament that says, no longer will you say, we drank sour wine and our kids' teeth were on edge. Seems like a weird thing to say, right? Anybody ever tried to drink vinegar? <laughs> right on. Some honest people, right? There's more people that tried to drink vinegar than watch the World Cup. <laughs> Lloydminster, am I right? All right, cool. No, me too. I'm with you. I too have drank vinegar. And you know that... Huh. Your teeth are on edge, aren't they? You ever try to like suck on a lemon? <clears throat> so there was a saying that they used to say, and it was similar to the, to the word that, that was said in the scripture where the sins of the father visit the sons, right? The sins of the father are on the kids. And so they used to say, you drink sour wine, your kids, their teeth will be on edge. They're paying for your mistakes, and the Bible says in the Old Testament, in those days, no longer will you say, we drank sour wine and our kids' teeth are on edge. That is over with. And if just to nail it home, pardon the pun, Jesus on the cross was offered a drink. Does anybody remember what it was? Sour wine. He was offered the sour wine and he took it. And he took it for you and he took it for your kids. So that's why Peter says, and he does, he's not trying to get on the crowd's good side. If he was trying to get on the crowd's good side, he would have skipped the whole you murdered him stuff. <laughs> he says, he doesn't say, remember that time, guys, I was there, remember that time you said let his blood be on our heads and our kids' heads? He says the opposite. He says God has given you a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's for you and for your kids too. He, 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 he just showed you, God has wiped away a generational curse, and he's introduced a generational blessing. So the Holy Spirit is restoring again. Yeah. And it gets better. There's a second sermon that he preaches. He goes on and he 
Well, actually, I'm not going to skip down to the second sermon quite yet. Let me just reference it for you. You guys know in chapter 3, a man got healed at the temple, and Peter got to preach another message. And he said, Jesus has gone to the Father, which heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. That there is a full restoration that God is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and even, even what's cool is, is that under the power of the Holy Spirit, they saw just a glimpse of it when that man was healed. Because we want, let me just talk to you for a second about what God's restoration looks like. What does our restoration look like? Bring it back to the thing, to the way it was before it was broken. You know, I, I, I hate spending money on repairs. Because it, it's not exciting. You didn't get anything new. Everything's the same, but you just, you're, you're, you have $2,000 less in your bank account. Right, anybody ever said, oh, I got a new carburetor? Yes. Ah, man, it feels like a new carburetor, doesn't it? Mm. No, it doesn't. It feels the same. It feels exactly the same, but your wallet feels lighter. There's nothing exciting about that. God bless our good furnace and heating and refrigeration folks here, but I've never got excited about a new furnace. It's just a new furnace. It's still warm. Thank God. Right? Because we, restoring for us is just taking it back to the way it was before it was broken. And so we think, when was it broken? Right? When was I broken? And we think to the last place we felt kind of normal. When I ask God for restoration, what am I asking for? Well, I think I want to be restored to the way I felt back in 2010. I think that was a high point for me. But when God restores, he does not restore back to your original state. He restores back to his original intention. Amen. Amen. So when you see the scripture talk about restoration, when he talks about restoring Israel, they've never had it that good. I mean, he doesn't say, I'm going to rebuild the buildings exactly the way they are. He says things like, you know, the ruined places. He says this in Ezekiel. I love it. He says in Ezekiel 36, he says, I am going to restore these ruined places that birds don't even live in anymore. And I'm going to make it like the Garden of Eden. Hang on. He doesn't say, I'm going to make it like Jerusalem was right before the Babylonians came. He didn't say, I'm going, to bring, I'm, going to, I'm going to bring it back to the heyday of when King David was ruling. He says, I'm going to restore it till it looks like the Garden of Eden. I'm going to make it look like it did before there was ever sin on the planet. See, that's what God does when he restores. So when a lame man who's been lame since birth says to Peter and John, can you give me some money? What he's looking for is restoration to the point where I can feed myself again. But what God gives him is restoration to something he's never experienced in his whole life. His legs have never worked and now they work. See, we think too small when it comes to God. Restore me to the place where I felt okay. But God says, I want to restore you to the way I've created you to be. And you maybe have never lived in that glory. You maybe have never lived in that reality. But let God open up your eyes by the Holy Spirit. Because this is what the Holy Spirit does. He is a spirit of restoration. Watch, already in a day, in two days, he has already begun the work of restoring. 
Restoring unity, restoring the church, restoring uh, lame and blind, restoring uh, 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 his people back to him, restoring fellowship, restoring the generations. Again, this is happening over and over again. And then the scripture says, when Peter preaches this sermon, 3,000 people come to the Lord that day and are saved. 3,000. We talked about this last week, but can you imagine your church growing from 120 to 3,120? Nobody's ready for that. Our classrooms aren't ready for that. Praise God. Let's believe. Let's dream bigger. Just watch what God can do. And not only that, but a few, just a chapter later, 5,000 more get added. What can God do? Right? But, but look at this. And many of you already know this. This is not a surprise to you, but I, I just... We got to talk about it because it's amazing. 3,000 people on that day of Pentecost are saved, brought to life, saved from death. On the first Pentecost, the very first Pentecost, the law was given on stone tablets. And Moses came down the mountain with those stone tablets and found the people of Israel worshiping an idol, partying, Worshiping an idol, getting drunk, doing things with each other they should never do. And Moses has come down from the presence of God. And the stark reality is just jarring. And he gets so mad he smashes the the tablet. Later when he comes down, he says, who's for the Lord? The Levites run to him. Some people come to him. It's a group of 3,000 people that actually said, No, we're not for the Lord. They didn't come to Moses. No, we're happy. Those 3,000 people on the first day of Pentecost, 50 days after they came out of Egypt, 50 days days since the first Passover, they've only been out. We talk about this like it happened years later. 50 days since God set them free from Egypt, they've already set up an idol. How messed up is that? And 3,000 people die on the first Pentecost. But thousands of years later, On this Pentecost, 3,000 people are saved. Praise God. See, God is restoring. The Holy Spirit is restoring. Because the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Oh, man. Look at what the Holy Spirit's restoring. It's not a coincidence, folks. He is demonstrating his restoration power. And the promise is for us and for our kids. I want to bring you back to Luke 4. A foundational section of scripture. Here's the timeline. Jesus is baptized by John. What happens? The Holy Spirit comes and remains. And the scripture says, full of the Holy Spirit, he goes out into the wilderness to be tested. And for 40 days, he fights the devil. After 40 days, he comes out full of the Spirit and goes to his hometown. He's asked as the guest to read. I don't know how he gets the right to read, but he got the right to read. He's asked to read, and he finds in the Scripture where it was written of him. Because he knew where he was in the Bible. He knew where he was in the book, just as you should know where you are in the book. You should see yourself in this book. You should see yourself in the words. And he opens the Bible and he looks at this 
And he begins to read. And Luke chapter 4, he reads from Isaiah. Let's read it. The Spirit of the Lord, this is verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim reliefs to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those that are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Once, once again, who is on Jesus? The Spirit of the Lord is on him. Yep. He has anointed me. What does anointed mean? It means empowered, sent, fully equipped by the Holy Spirit. The anointing, you can't separate. Go throughout the Bible. You can't separate anointing from the Holy Spirit. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's work in you. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. It's the Holy Spirit empowering you. And so he says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me for something. We've talked about this before. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to give everybody the chills. Nope. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to have just, just so we can have just a kick in worship service. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to be a more dynamic speaker. No, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And I'm going to insert my own little phrase here, and you'll know because you can look at your Bible. This is me. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to restore what's broken. You know, see, Jesus starts talking about broken people and broken situations. He doesn't say the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to go to find somebody whose life isn't messed up because Lord knows you guys are a mess. <laughs> Spirit of the Lord has pointed out two or three people in Israel that still haven't messed up. And I'm going to find them and I'm going to start my own church with them. No, he says the Spirit of the Lord sent me to the, the most broken, hurting, damaged people. And to restore them back to the way God designed them to be. He sent me to the poor, and he told me to proclaim the good news to them. He sent me to the captives. He didn't send me to the captives and offer them a slice of bread. He didn't send me to the captives and say, I'll, I'll give you a new mug to bang against the bars. He sent me to the captives. And remember, when we went through this, maybe it was last year, the word captives literally means somebody, a hostage, a POW, someone taken in war. Because later he talks about prisoners, right? A prisoner is different than a captive. A captive is someone that was taken away by an enemy force. The Spirit of the Lord anointed me to bust down the doors of the POW camp. Today's June 9th, June 8th, 1944. My grandpa was marched out of a Nazi POW camp and put on a death march to Stalag 17, I want to say. I could be wrong about the number. 10-day march, shot anybody that stopped to go to the bathroom, shot anybody that went too slow, put them on a train, put them in another camp. He and his buddies escaped, but he was recaptured. My grandma was told that he was probably dead. The happiest day of her life to that point was one of his buddies who actually escaped came back and said, Viola, he's alive. I saw him. I saw them catch him, but I saw them bring him back into the wire. He was a captive. Now, can you imagine? Jesus, anointed by the Spirit, coming to a concentration camp, coming to a POW camp and tearing down the gates and releasing the captives. I mean, this, I mean, think about it. That was what humans could do to humans. It, it, even that, that was demonic. It was 
devilish. But it's so, even in the spirit, it's so much worse. Yeah. And Jesus said, I, I'm, I'm going to find the prison camps yeah. and release the captives. Right. Yeah. I'm going to restore them to where they should be. You see, because the Bible, when he talks about us being captives to darkness, what does he say? I'm going to restore you. And then he says, I'm going to sit you with the princes. I'm going to put you in heavenly places. I'm going to give you a right to rule. Who, who has that story? We just want to go back. God, I just not, I want to be not in a prison camp anymore. Can you do that for me, Lord? Because I hate prison camps. So I would like, you can drop me off at Walmart. I don't care. I just don't want to be here. Put me in Podunk, Saskatchewan. I'm fine. I just don't want to be in a prison camp. But Jesus says, no, when I restore you from captivity, I'm going to bring you to the palace. I'm going to sit you next to me. I'm going to let you rule with me. See, oh, we're dreaming too small. Say, oh, Lord, Lord, I just don't want to be a captive anymore. Lord, Lord, it's tiring for me. Lord, will you set me free? And you don't realize he didn't just set you free from something. He set you free for something. So when he sets you free... You're not just supposed to be free. You're free to rule and reign with him. You're free to be a child of the king. Our aim is so low. God's aim is so high. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Don't forget, everything Jesus is saying is what he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. So everything he's saying is what you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do because you've carried on his ministry. Can I ask you something? Are there still poor amongst us, spiritually and physically? Yes. Are there still captives? Are there still the blind amongst us? Are there still oppressed people? Are there still people that don't know that this is the favorable year of the Lord? Because Jesus says he sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. I'm going to find the blind, and I'm going to give them back their sight. I'm going to find the oppressed and I'm going to set them free. You know, I, th- I thank God for advances in medicine and I know that science can do some good things and I'm not against it. But I will tell you that while the world just seeks to imprison and to medicate, it's the only way we can control people. God wants them completely free. Amen? Completely free. Not smelling of smoke, but completely free. To set free those that are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he's going to put you in position where you'll proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and you'll, you'll mean it and people will believe it. You know, there's a whole group of people, there's a whole, whole world around us that thinks God is angry or he doesn't exist. Right. Even the people that say that he doesn't exist are looking over their shoulder. Yeah. And they say things like, if he did, why would this happen? Yeah. If he did, why did this happen? And they don't realize this is what happens in a broken world with broken people. Yeah. But God sent us with the spirit to restore and to right. bring back to life. Right. And I want to close with this thought. When Zechariah the prophet had a vision from God, God showed him Yeshua, the high priest, showed him representing the people of Israel, filthy, dirty. God restored him and said, immediately Satan was accusing this priest. In this vision, he sees Satan saying, look what he did, look what he did. 
He deserves to die. He doesn't deserve your presence. And God says, when an angel of the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Isn't this the one I plucked from the fire? And he takes the dirty clothes off him, puts clean clothes on him. He gives him authority, gives him a, a, a turban for his head. All of these things mean something, but I want to get to the point here. He gets to another man, and he, he turns to him and said, this is Zerubbabel, and this is the guy that's supposed to rebuild the temple, and he's about to give up. His job, Zerubbabel's job, was to rebuild the temple. He had taken that project on. He was a governor of the people, and he was supposed to be bringing them to a place where the temple would be rebuilt, but nobody's backing him. It's not getting done. They don't have the funds. They don't have the resources. People are tired. You ever feel like that? People are tired. They don't want to volunteer. <laughs> they don't want to do anything. So, you know, we just, we did enough. Didn't we rebuild the walls? You're going to make us rebuild the temple too? And God shows him a picture of a lamp that have seven channels to it. Seven being the number of completion. That's all you'll ever need. It says there's oil coming. And this is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's coming through two different paths. It's coming from the king and from the priest. And there's this anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is what's available to you. And then he says, Zerubbabel, it's not by might. And it's not by power that you're going to restore the temple. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. And he says, Zerubbabel, you are going to look at that great mountain and you're going to say, who are you, great mountain? Before me, you'll be a plain. And you will put that final piece on the temple, that capstone, that keystone with shouts of grace, grace to it. What a picture. And here's, here's what I want to close with. We have in us a heart of restoration because we see that that's God's plan. The Holy Spirit has poured it out in our hearts. We have love for people. We have desires for people. We don't want to see them stuck. We don't want to see ourselves stuck. We, we know that God called us to ruin places and desolate cities to rebuild and to, to bring them to the place they should be. But sometimes we get stuck in, in how it's going to get done and we start having our little strategy meetings and we start planning, we start getting up in our head and saying, how can I help this person or how can I get better or how can, how can this thing ever be like it was? And number one, we, once again, we aim too low. And number two, we're using all our might and all our power to get it done. And I have news for you. What the enemy has destroyed, what the curse has made desolate, cannot be rebuilt by the flesh. It can't. It's been, it's been demolished by a power you don't have. We're dealing with something bigger. But it will and it must and it should be rebuilt by the restoration of the Holy Spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by your best plans. It's not by your best efforts. It's not by all the money you got in your bank account. It's not by one more group that you get together. It will be by my spirit, says the Lord. And every time God restores something, he does it by the Holy Spirit. He does it by the power of the Spirit. So I want you to know that God's already placed those things on you. you already know. You can already have your lukewarm moment where you look around and say, I know what I'm anointed to do. I, I've seen, how do you know you're anointed to do these things? First of all, you're anointed to do what Jesus did. Can you find somebody broken? Can you find something that's broken? Yeah, God wants to restore that. That's not hard to find. 
It's a lot harder to find a, a, a put-together person. Pretty easy to find broken things. God is for broken people. And he wants to restore them. He wants to restore broken places and broken things. But you have to know there's no other way to do it but by the Holy Spirit. So you'll notice anytime you're being led by the Spirit, restoration is happening. Anytime you get back into how can I do this, you get stuck or you make it worse. (laughs) You're like me trying to, you know, trying to to fix the car. You're you're just making a problem. (laughs) I know, I'm, I'm confident enough to just tell you. There's a couple things I can do, and there's a couple of things I really can't do. Actually, there's a lot of things I really can't do. And some of you husbands know, your wives look at you like you can fix anything. Maybe you've been married, you've been married long enough where that no longer is the case. But you guys, you know the phrase, I'll, I'll call the guy. I'll call the guy. There's always a guy that can do this, or a gal. I'll call the person that's going to do this. I can't do this. You ever looked at those things? You just looked at it right away and you knew, no. Because you're remembering that one time where you tried. And it was a simple plumbing job, and then everything had to be replaced because you <laughs> tried to snake the drain and well, whatever. This is what happens when we try to do it by strength or by power. We fail. But we don't ever have to do anything like that again. It's the Holy Spirit. So here's why I believe that God wants to clothe his church with his spirit. Because God has a restoration plan for Canada. Now listen, some things won't be made right until he returns. Right? We know that. I I don't believe that all governments are suddenly going to become good and and everybody's going to get in line. No, there's some things that will never be made right until he returns. That doesn't mean we're not working towards his righteousness and his kingdom. Right? We should look around us and say, we're affecting this nation. We are bringing in the harvest. We, We have a job to do right here, right now. To advance his kingdom on this earth. And so, so when, I, when, we, when we are a people who are clothed in the spirit, led by the spirit, empowered by the spirit, restoration is everywhere. You look and you're drawn to the places that nobody else wants to go because it's too, it's too you know, uh, grieving. It's too shameful. It's too hard. It's, it's just got too many bad memories. Can't we just start over? And God says, no, I didn't give up on this place. I didn't give up on these people. I didn't give up on this family. I didn't give up on this school. There is water in the well. And the Philistines may have stopped it up, but by the Spirit of God, those wells will be uncorked again. And there will be water in your land. Can we stand up together and believe that the Spirit of restoration is restoring your life and the lives of those around you? He's got a plan of restoration for your city and for your nation. We are people of the Spirit, so we're people of restoration. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You should say that about yourself. Because no matter what it looks like in your life, I know the Holy Spirit does things, he, we're different parts of the same body, so we have different giftings and different ways that we're used. 
But no matter how you're gifted, no matter how he fits you into the body, it's still going to accomplish that Luke 4 mission statement. So I just, let's pray right now and believe in a God who restores.